Welcome to the Carl Reader Show. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Be Your Own Boss podcast, where I'm delighted to be joined by somebody who I can only refer to as a friend and within my own industry, an accounting industry heavyweight, but he's not talking about accountancy today. You will all be delighted to hear. Steve Pipe is a former Entrepreneur of the Year and also is a passionate believer that businesses could and should be a force for good. Steve, welcome to the show. Carl, it's such a pleasure to be here. Fantastic. So Steve, the first question that I ask every single guest, because my introductions are just so bad, is who is Steve? (laughs) Well, I am a 57-year-old happily married chartered accountant, uh, married to an accountant, three adult children. One's an accountant, the other two are um, married or living with and getting married to in one case accountants. However, as you rightly say, we're not talking about accountancy. Um, I've written seven books. I wrote a BBC TV series, Easy Money picked up some awards along the way, love playing tennis very badly, play the guitar even worse. I guess what's much more important though is that um, I built a 40-person consulting business in the accounting space as you know and I sold it to the management team when I was 50. I used to stand on stage and say I was going to retire at 50 and I certainly changed everything at 50 and since then I've been trying to play a leadership role by giving away my time and my intellectual property completely free of charge to any business, uh, any accounting firm anywhere in the world to try and inspire but more particularly help small businesses across the world become a force for good because as you say I believe that every business can change the world regardless of where they're based, what they do, what sector, what size, how young or or mature their business is, every single business can and I believe must make a contribution towards changing the world and what a joyful world that would be if that happened, when that happens. It will be, it will be. So um, a force for good, what what would be really... um, I, I think interesting and help frame the conversation for our listeners so so that we can paint a picture for them. How would you define a force for good? Well I guess I guess it's where the business is is creating a measurable impact on things that matter in the world. So if we go back to t- September 2015, every civilized um, country in the world signed up to, agreed to, set a series of 17 global goals through the United Nations. And these are the, the global goals to eradicate extreme poverty and hunger and bring and give everybody access to good quality education and uh, medical facilities, but also to tackle environmental damage and so on and so forth. There were 17 of these goals set in September 2015 um, with an objective of achieving these you know, really major goals by uh, 2030, a 15 year time frame. Now, of course, we're four years into that time frame. And unfortunately, as a world, we are behind where we need to be. What's really interesting, though, and this isn't entirely politicians' faults, because what's really interesting is that when those goals were launched uh, back in September 2015, uh, Sir Richard Branson and, and others were there, other business leaders were there, and, and Sir Richard stood up and said, look, you know, we need to recognise that, that governments and politicians and diplomats cannot do this on their own, categorically, and that, that we as businesses have a responsibility and a wonderful opportunity to step up and to step in and to get involved and to help contribute towards those UN global goals. So what a, a business as a force for good looks like is a business that's having a measure, in my opinion, a measurable impact towards helping achieve those global goals. Now that may be a small impact or a large impact, but a positive impact is, is the crucial thing. And, and 
when we can get businesses doing that, and many, many already are, you know, even though they make or sell things that conventionally you wouldn't think of as, well, yeah, that's a positive force for good in the world. Um, but actually, regardless of what we make or sell, accounting firms, for example, and every other service business and every other manufacturing business and every retail business and every business can through what it does, become a more positive uh, influence and, in, and have a more positive impact on the world. And one of my key bits of advice is that in order to, you know, there's that old adage, isn't there, you know, what you can measure, you can manage. I think a business that's having a positive impact on the world needs to be able to demonstrate that because words are easy, words are cheap. You know, lots of organizations adopt a mission statement and a set of worthy and lofty goals and so on. But actually, you know, coming from my accounting perspective, you know, I, I recognize the importance of measuring stuff and, and having a, a, a scorecard, an impact scorecard, a global impact scorecard, I think is a, is a really powerful thing, way to do. Now, we're in early stages of developing those, but it's really very exciting how um, any business, even the very smallest, even the very youngest, even the very newest business can get involved and can make a positive contribution. Fantastic. So, Steve, I'm going to dive in now with um, uh, perhaps playing devil's advocate here with a question. But, you know, if we if we frame ourselves as the average small business in the UK, so as we know, there's 5.7 million, 5.8 million, whatever the statistic is as, as of today, you know, there's 5.7, 5.8 million businesses. Only a very small handful, relatively speaking, are big enough to um, first of all be obliged to comply with corporate and social responsibility standards, um, but also have enough employees and perhaps enough spare time to really muck in and do some good. Uh, if we were to take the average business owner, um, you know, we were, if we were to line them up, it's almost certain if we were to choose one out of ten, but we would pick somebody who's working for themselves. Um, has got a job that is um, in the guise of being a business or being self-employed or being an entrepreneur, but really they are they are responsible for doing the work, receiving the income, etc., etc. Um, why would they look to passionately embrace this if it's not within them already? Well, I mean, I, there are many many reasons ranging from the fact that you know we need to be i believe true to our personalities who we are in life we, I, I find there's this incredible disconnect between very often you know people who are lovely and kind and caring and generous at home and then they go to work and it's as if we have to put on a suit of armor and behave in a completely different way you know i suspect that most of our parents brought us up to be nice people and I think there's huge power in bringing that niceness to work to our in our business environment uh, as well. So that one, it's there's a sense of being true to our own moral compass. Two, there's a sense of, or there's a clearly an absolute burning need to address some of the issues. You know, we're a couple of weeks um, when, when we're recording this after. Um, after Sir Richard, uh, Sir David Attenborough rather, did his TV programme on you know, climate change and the environmental damage. And just last week, uh, we, you know, we, we've got a report announcing that a million species and, and are, are probably going to face extinction. You know, there are massive issues facing us as you know, the global family, the global community. And we each need to play our part. I think there's a, there's a burning necessity there. There's this moral compass thing. And thirdly, there's also a really strong and absolutely fascinating business case um, that, that essentially there's lots of evidence that, that not just suggests but you know, screams out businesses that do good do better. 
that when you when you're in chip because there is a you know particularly the younger generation but quite frankly my generation I'm 57 I am running scared about the future of the planet and the future of the world in which we live in and you know if we get environmental damage or we get global up upheaval and we've got you know people around the world who need to find new homes the whole balance of the planet in every sense politically demographically economically you know is is at risk i think and so you know i think it's much more sensible to do something about that rather than just hope that someone else would do something about it because if we all did that and all looked the other way nothing would ever get done Com completely but and and from first-hand experience steve i can um i i can say that certainly through including the community i mean that so that's how we phrase it into what we call our five stars, which in um, corporate speak is stakeholder analysis. Uh, by including the community and actively getting involved to do some good, we found that it's helped improve staff engagement. It's given us something to talk about with our customers, etc., etc. So, um, so I do, I do believe that there is a very genuine um, business benefit to it. Uh, the reality, though is that for many businesses, you know, I, I'm fortunate that, much like yourself, Steve, I can devote as much or as little time to this stuff as I want to. Um, you know, it's, at the moment, I've uh, recently begun, become involved in a not-for-profit football club, and that is taking up probably the equivalent of two full-time jobs, but I've got the luxury to choose to do that or not to. Um, but for this typical business owner, they haven't necessarily got that luxury in that they, they, need to, they need to weigh up whether they do a job for 30 quid, 40 quid, or um, whether they undertake some charitable action of some sort, whether it's, um, whether it's through action or even just finding out what to do. So how does the average business owner go about doing this? Well, I think that's that's a great, great question because it's one of the it's that fear or it's you know it's it's the it's the thought behind that question which prevents many people because if you think about so much of what's often labelled corporate social social responsibility, you don't particularly like that label. I just prefer the the idea that you know we become a force for good, we do good. Um, but anyway, whatever label you put on, it doesn't really matter when you think about how that historically has been done very often it is it is culminated in the boss of an organization standing in front of a camera with a large oversized check saying look, look at us aren't we great we've just given or we've raised or in some other way you know there's 10,000 or there's 5,000 or there's 50,000 or you know there's millions in the case of stuff that goes on on Red Nose Day and so on the challenge for most small businesses is twofold one that if they were you know in terms of how much that any small business like my small business can you know because basically my business is now me sitting here at home I am the the classic small business these days I didn't used to be but I am now and the challenge for any small business is that the size of the check that we could effectively write is tiny you know, it's, we couldn't stand there with a £50,000 check, probably. And standing there with a £5 check is so embarrassing. We're not going to do it. And therefore, that's the problem. Because we don't think that we can make enough of a difference and our check wouldn't be large enough, we don't do anything at all. And because millions and millions and millions of small businesses fall into that mindset they don't do anything at all either and therefore all that opportunity to make the world better is, is lost we need to recognize the power of small the power of tiny marginal contributions you know uh, no matter how little a business can contribute in terms of either time or money those contributions add up you know those those marginal gain stuff adds up and the cumulative effect is profound so one there's a you know it, there's this worry that I can't hold up a, a large enough check, and that's often put small businesses off. Secondly, there's a worry that um, 
it's going to be too time consuming and therefore I don't have the time and I don't have the money and therefore I'll put it to one side to the on the nice to do list when things get significantly better. And that's part of the problem, I think, because they always stay on the nice to do when things get significantly better list and they never actually move on to the to do list. Now, if I if we talk about instead a way of factoring doing good into every single transaction and activity of the business in a way that's automatic, then suddenly we don't even have to really think about it. We set it up once and that can take as little as a few minutes and then we can be, we, kindness and caring and impact can flow through. So let me give you an example, a specific example, and we can drill down into a process behind it if you'd like. But there are um, lots of coffee shops now around the world. When you go into the coffee shop, as well as you getting your you know cup of Starbucks-y kind of coffee, Starbucks doesn't do this, but independent coffee shops, small businesses, where when you go in there and get your cup of coffee, as well as you getting your drink, what that cup of coffee does is also ensures that a child in in rural Africa gets access to clean water that day. And therefore that child, which would often be, a, a, instead of the young girl having to walk several miles a day to a distant well, bringing water back to the village, and therefore not having time for an education, if we put water in the village, if we drill a well in the village, then the, the that young girl gets an education and they get clean, life-giving water and everything everything's uplifted. Now, if... If we think, well, I can't afford to fund a well in a village. No, we probably can't. But actually, if you take the cost of a well in a village, let's, I don't know what it is, but let's say it's a $1,000, and you divide that by the number of people in the village, and you divide that by the number of days that that well is going to deliver water to the village, you end up with a funding cost of, of less than one cent to provide one person with a day of water, that one young girl who would otherwise have to spend her day walking backwards and forwards. So from the, the coffee shop's point of view, it's now possible, and there, there are, there's a platform out there called B1G, and it's a platform I use, that allows me to source projects like the, the, the water or education or many, many other projects for pennies or cents and link those to the transactions in the business. So you imagine that coffee shop. When you go into that coffee shop, you know that not only are you getting your cup of coffee, well, in this country, that's about three pounds, isn't it? But that a child in, in Africa is getting you know, life-giving water that's changing their life that day. The coffee shop funds that. Once a month, it works out how many coffees it's sold. It then makes a, a, an online giving. That's a 10-minute, not 10-minute, that's a 30-second process one cent per cup of coffee but you think what happens for that one cent you think of the joy that it creates in the minds of the customer you think of what the customers go and tell other people about this coffee shop that not only sells coffee but actually changes life you think about the empowerment the motivation the energy that it brings to the team members in that coffee shop because they'll want to sell more coffee because they know that it's not just you know create paying for their salary and, and lining the pockets of the business owner but it's actually changing the lives of someone else around the world the more coffee we sell the more of a difference we have the more of a measurable impact because that coffee shop can then you know keep score of how many days worth of water it's it's provided and therefore how many lives it has, it has had an impact on and access to clean water is one of the UN global goals so it can build its scorecard around that impact and people talk about that coffee shop and they come back and they're loyal to that coffee shop and they tell other people about it and they bring their friends to that coffee shop and that coffee shop sells more coffee and makes more money. And none of that takes any 
real hardship because they just once a month they calculate or once a week or whatever the interval is they calculate okay how many of this trigger transaction has happened in this case it's a coffee it's a cup of coffee how many therefore days worth of coffee do we need to fund click on 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 a website link and uh, and that happens fantastic it, it sounds so it sounds so simple but um tell, tell us more about the process of how you get started with doing this stuff yeah well i think the best way of doing this is to is to sit down and identify three types of things that happen in your business. What are the things you want to encourage? What are the things you want to celebrate? What are the things you want to say thank you for? And I'll give you some examples in a second. And then having identified these, these things you want to encourage, celebrate or thank, we treat those as triggers and we say that when one of those things happen, which is good for the business, and I'll give you, you know, for example, uh, the coffee shop selling a cup of coffee, that's something they want to encourage more of. They want to encourage more sales of cups of coffee. Um, but they might also want to encourage, you know, a different kind of business might want to encourage you to join their mailing list or to become a customer or to buy for the first time or to give you a referral or to pay on time. There's a whole load of things that happen in a business that we want to encourage to happen more often or more rapidly or, or more effectively. So if we identify those things like joining, becoming a customer or joining our mailing list or, or buying or paying on time or giving us a referral, we, we can decide, okay, when that happens, when that good thing happens in our business, we're simply going to link that good thing to something else good happening in the world. So they become a customer and you know, if they're a... Let me, for example, I'll give you. I'll give you some really specific examples. I know of um, a small business. In fact, I do this myself. When someone attends one of my webinars, I fund e-learning for a, a child in rural India. Now, e-learning for one day's worth of e-learning costs one cent. So I might choose to fund a week's worth or a month's worth, or sometimes even a year's worth, depending on um, you know the, the the value to me, as it were, of that meeting or that webinar. But I'm then able to tell delegates that because you came to the webinar today, you know, a child in rural India has got access to e-learning. And notice I've connected um, the the nature of the giving. So you know, in the coffee shop, the coffee shop provided a drink, and therefore it might choose to provide water, which is you know, it's, there's a relevance there. If I'm running an online e-learning event, a webinar, I might choose to fund e-learning for a child in India. If so, when someone, when people use, I give my books away for free now, but when I used to sell them, every time um, someone bought one of my books, I did a variety of things. But one of the things I did was I planted a tree in Kenya. I didn't go to Kenya to plant it, but, you know, I funded the planting of a tree through a charity in Kenya that actually costs 40 cents, by the way. But and that that tree would would bear fruit, which is a source of income and food for the family, but was also a way of you know, tackling, replacing the wood that I've cut down and tackling climate change. Um, it, when someone attends a, a, a conference, there are people that, for example, that will fund a child in Cambodia getting access to a bicycle so that they can get to school because if you don't have a bike even though the school may be there for you it's simply too far away to physically get to. Um, so there, there are ways of identifying things that happen in your business that you want to encourage and then choosing to link those to something good happening in the world and essentially using a tiny tiny fraction of the benefit to the business from the sale or the on-time payment or the referral or whatever, a tiny fraction, you know, often as little as, as one cent, one US cent, so it's less than a penny, isn't it, in, in sterling, and, and, and using that at a, at a period once every week or once every month to make a, a measurable 
giving and therefore get back a measurable impact score effectively the number of trees that you've planted the number of e-learning sessions that you've funded the number of days worth of water the number of bicycles that have been provided and so on um, each of which makes a contribution towards the UN global goals but what also crucially is happening is that it's building a culture and a habit and a reputation and a brand in the business for as a business for good and it's motivating and energizing the team and it's creating a story in the marketplace and so there's this wonderful you know congruency between doing good for the world and doing good for the business fantastic um what one question i've got steve and then we'll um we'll just bounce around a couple of other bits and pieces if that's okay before the rapid fires um but i, I guess the last question to wrap up the um, the way that force for good can be delivered by small businesses because you know it sounds phenomenal and I, I'm sat here thinking well you know what we can we can whack on a penny here and a penny there and a penny there um, you know go down the list of 250 KPIs in a business and uh, whack a penny on everywhere um, is there a tipping point where this actually becomes overload you know would you be better to focus on let's say, three key activities that drive um, charitable results? Or is it something where it's, it truly is a case of the more the merrier? Yeah, well, I, I, there are different... <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. There are different approaches that I know of one organisation here in the UK that's actually identified 17 triggers, um, uh, which is deliberately 17 triggers because there are 17 UN global goals. These are 17 things that are good for their business when they happen. And for each and every one of those, they trigger something good happening in the world in the way we've just talked about. And each and every one of those 17 is for a different um, UN global goal. That's a really interesting approach. I think probably that's a little bit, that's quite a sizable business actually. That's probably a little bit too complex. At the other end of the spectrum, you can just, you can just stick with one. If you're a coffee shop, you might just choose just to focus on every time we sell a cup of coffee then we provide water. So there's that whole spectrum from one through to 17. I, I, to keep it simpler, to keep it more focused, to keep it easier to communicate, it may be sensible to stay at the, uh, you know, the, the smaller number of impacts end of the scale. What, what I thought you were going to ask me about actually, um, and so it's worth addressing that issue is, does this end up looking like greenwashing, like we are you know, doing it because it makes us look good? And I think, I think this goes back to my first point about, you know, there are three reasons why we should do this one because it's true to who we are as nice kind people the way our parents and our community and our society has brought us up um you know whatever our, our moral backdrop seems to me that the, a huge part of that certainly here in the uk but really around the world is is being kind and nice and, and caring and that power of nice can flow through our businesses as well as our family and personal lives then there's this global imperative we really have to do something to stop the world melting down, if I put it in, in those extreme kind of ways. And then there's this third set of reasons, which is it's actually good for business. So they all come together. Um, and I don't see any problem in doing things which are good for the world and good for the business. We don't have to, it's, does, we don't have to punish ourselves. Our kindness doesn't be in the form of, you know, I'm doing this and, and, and look at me, aren't I great? And I'm making all this sacrifice. Yes, if you want to do that, that's fine. Um, but actually, the great thing about this is it's good for the world and it's good for business. So we should just do more of it. It's one of those very few win-win-wins, isn't it? Absolutely, um, yeah. I wasn't going to use that phrase, but you're absolutely right, Carl, yeah. <laughs> so, Steve, I'm, I'm just going to touch on um, something else you mentioned in your intro, which is, um, you know, you've, you've gone down the route of building a consultancy business, so on and so forth. Um, 
The one that jumped out to me was writing a BBC TV show. T tell me more about that, because that's something that I've actually got a Hollywood screenwriter um, in the studio in three days time. So I, I you know, I'm, I'm a keen writer myself and I'm always curious about how people um, take a creative interest and actually go from creativity to implementation. So, so tell us more about how that happened. Well, the, I mean, I was remarkably fortunate that that fell into my lap. Um, so I had, because I got, I used to, when I was running my little accounting firm, which was a tiny accounting firm, I started it not even from a spare bedroom, but from a shared bedroom with my brand new baby daughter, who's now 28. We, we had a two bedroom house. So Hers was the only other bedroom, and that was also my office. You can imagine how challenging that was. But nevertheless, in that little setting, I managed to get a lot of publicity for the things I was doing. I ended up writing my first book, sharing uh, that bedroom with the, the little baby, uh, which was published by Kogan Page, 101 Ways to Make More Profits, 20-odd years ago now. Um, but anyway, through the, the PR I generated and the book and so on, I got invited to go on a very low-key um, BBC Sunday morning television program which was aimed at lifestyle businesses and lifestyle generally so sometimes they looked at small business issues and sometimes they looked at other lifestyle issues and bizarrely I was you'll you'll find this enjoyable uh, they wanted to interview they wanted to do a piece on running a business from home and they thought well sometimes people run their businesses from home in a um, in a shed at the bottom of the garden don't they so we'll put a shed on the set uh, one of the, the highbrow presenters was um, Cheryl Baker from um, Bucks Fizz. You know, they'd relatively recently won the Eurovision Song Contest, so that's how highbrow this program was. Um, and they thought that, so Cheryl was going to interview me talking about running a business from home outside a shed. Obviously, you're going to sit your guest on a toadstool, aren't you? Aren't they? So that's what they did. I'm sitting on a toadstool interviewed by Cheryl Baker, but actually it went quite well, and someone else within the Beeb noticed that, and they contacted me and said, look, we've got this six or eight part a TV series called Easy Money, but we don't actually know what we're going to do in it. We want it to be finance for non, you know, for non-financial people. Um, would you be the script advisor? Would you come in and, and, and advise us? And so I did and created a, a metaphor around the car and the journey and the dashboard and fuel. And, and it was all sort, it was a really, really extended metaphor that around a car as the essence for accounting as the, the, the the car was the business and the, the, the controls were the, uh, were the P&L account and balance sheet and the fuel was, you know, the cash flow and so on. And, Fantastic. And, Do you know, and, I know of a business using that metaphor today. Yeah, and that was that was 20-something years ago. The, the star of the show was Leslie Joseph. Now, she used to be Dorian in Birds of a Feather, which yes, many, yep. many years ago was a big TV programme. And, and that was an eight-part series and my name was on the credits. I'll tell you one thing that was really, really interesting, though. The BBC understood the power of its brand and the attractiveness of being associated with them. And so what they paid me for that was significantly less than they were paying the secretary, um, you know, paying any member of the team. Because they, they said, and I challenged them, I said, look, this is crazy. You know, you're not offering me practically anything. And they said, we don't need to. You want to work here, and so does everybody else. So understand the power, the balance of power in in, uh, oh, I, in some I negotiations know, Steve, as well. I know it. I know it only too well from the TV world myself. Yeah, um, yeah you're lucky to get a Sony at a, a, a service station, and I I can say that on um, on the the days that I've done filming, you work harder than you work doing anything else. Yes. <laughs>
Yeah, you yeah. really, you really do. Okay, Steve. So what, what we're going to do now? We're going to um, wrap it up into what, what is for regular listeners the usual rapid fire questions. So these questions are really designed to to get under the skin of what makes you up as a person, Steve. So it's it's an opportunity for the listeners to get to know you, get to know what drives you, um, get to know. Um, you know, what's helped shape you into the person you are today. So the first, the first question is, if you were to set up a mastermind group with three other people, now they can be dead or alive, um, they can be fictional or non-fictional, who, who would you choose? Wow, that is an interesting question. And and I wasn't aware of the question you're going to ask me in advance. So I'm going to have to no, nobody this ever up is. off my <laughs> off top of my head. Um, well, I, I know two of them straight away, and they are effectively in my mastermind group now. Um, Paul Dunn and Masami Sato, they are the two founders of the B1G1 uh, movement, which I have been, which is the tool that I use in order to, to, to link the things that I choose to do in my business with the kindness and the giving that I want to make. So this is a, a global movement and a global platform that that uh, has really been inspirational. So Paul and Masami, the founders of that unquestionably, and I do count them as friends, but I would like even more of their time in the mastermind setting. So that, that'll be awesome. As for the third person, uh, that's that that's much trickier. Um, I'm pro- I will probably have someone completely um, off the wall. Um, and actually, I'm going to pick someone that really is off the wall. I would probably have Woody Guthrie. Now, for, Woody Guthrie was an, an American 1920s to about 1960s, 1970s folk singer, um, taught, traveled the US during the Depression and, and really spoke on social issues. I used to love the music as a kid. He was a very, very switched on, uh, forthright, tell it as it is, challenge stupidity kind of guy. I think the combination of of uh, Woody Guthrie and I've never thought of being in a mastermind group with him before but would just be fascinating sadly he's not with us anymore but yeah brilliant okay so that's the whole that's the whole purpose of asking for free because it goes beyond any personal mentor or um, people you do a day-to-day but it also forces you to refine um, who it is you choose so that that's great Um, so the second question and again this one's going to catch you on the hop Steve um, what's the best purchase that you've made? Yeah, it could be in the last six months to a year. Best um, of around fifty pounds, under fifty pounds. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, un- under fifty. So it could be anything. You know, it could it could be a pound. It could be an app on your phone. Yeah, it could be a product. It could be absolutely anything. But well, I tell you, I tell you what, the best thing I've still not spent fifty quid on it. There's a piece of software called Loom, L O O M, and it allows you to video to take a, make a video of whatever's on your screen and your webcam at the same time. I use Loom many, many times every single day. Whenever I have a you know, complicated answer to a question that someone's sent me an email through, or I want to show something or illustrate something or convey some energy or passion, rather than write it down in an email, and I'm a very, very poor typist, um, I use Loom to just literally record my answer or record a demonstration or to record an illustration. And as soon as I press play, as soon as I stop the recording, there is instantly a link on the screen that I can just cut and paste into an email. It's it's there's no so there's no waiting for the you know the recording to compile and then transfer it into Dropbox or any of that kind of stuff. It's it's a brilliant productivity tool. It's a brilliant way of in, in investing energy and um, you know enthusiasm and passion into your answers or to your messaging. 
Um, and thus far, it has been completely free to me. So I haven't even spent 50 quid on it. Fantastic. And I'm imagining, for um, certainly for service businesses, this could form the basis of a FAQs or information bank for them to use for... All of that for... kind of stuff. You know, literally, you can... You can you can record the videos and they sit online instantly and you know or you can then download the videos and put them somewhere else on your own website and embed them in different ways and there's even got little editing tools in it but mostly i just do one take unedited replies or or and i've used it in so many ways it is untrue it saves me an enormous amount of time but not just that it injects real energy into my communications which doesn't come across in the written word fantastic what book is the book that you've recommended to the most people, and it can't be your own? Yeah, I oh know it wouldn't. It wouldn't be my own. Uh, I mean, I guess over the years, technically, the book I have most recommended would be *The E Myth Revisited* by Michael Gerber. But I'm not gonna. That's not the one I'm gonna pick. Actually, the book that I would say, actually, I, I recommend this that every accountant gets this book, even if they don't read it. it it's. Um, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Kahneman won the Nobel Prize for Economics for, and even though he's not an economist, he's a behavioural psychologist. Um, but essentially he in, invented a new branch of economics. I studied economics at uni. I did two degrees. I was really very good at it back in you know, many, many, many years ago. Turns out that everything that I learnt back then through economics was largely irrelevant because it was based on theory. And when you put theory to the test in the real world, it just falls down. And so what Kahneman and this new branch of economics studied is how people actually behave. And that's called behave. That's why it's called behavioral economics. Now, why I think that book is brilliant is because it it forces us to say we can't make assumptions we can't just build theory we can't just build models we actually have to look at the evidence and as an accountant you know and much of that evidence is data driven we need to make more rational data driven we need to help any business every business make more rational data driven decisions and that's why i'm excited about the future of the accounting profession because i think as accountants our role becomes making sure that our clients get the right data better data and do the right better analysis on it so they can make better, more informed, more rational decisions. Because what Kahneman found in that book, and, and, and has been found many, many other places and times, is that most decisions are not rational. Most of the time, most of the choices we make are not rational. That's absolutely fine if it's, you know, over which cup, which beer am I going to drink tonight? Well, the colour of the label will influence me. Red makes me more likely to salivate and therefore I'm more likely to buy red. And you think of most of the most successful beers in the world, Budweiser's, for example, is red on the label, isn't there? That's one of these behavioural insights. It's not rational, but it, it's, not, it's not obvious in advance, but it's what the evidence shows us. It's fine over the choice of beer, but when we're talking about the future of our business, the future of the planet, then clearly we need to have much more rational uh, thinking much more data-driven decision making and that's why you know the stuff that we were talking about before which is backed by a lot of evidence that being good for the world is good for business also and also by a lot of common sense just for me makes sense but also you know in business we need to start using all this wonderful new technology there is out there with a great accountant to make sure that we've got the right KPIs the right performance indicators the right measurement systems we're using the right data which is you know real time and cloud driven and more accurate and relevant to the situations and then we're using that to make better decisions because i think and if i were to sum up you know my work up to the point where 
I really understood the power of um, you know, of kindness and giving. I think the role of the accounting profession, its contribution to society and to its clients and to the economy, is to make sure that our clients get better data and help them do better analysis of that data. Because better data and better analysis leads to better decisions, and better decisions build you know, step by step one business at one one pound of profit at a time, and so on. Better businesses and better businesses create better lives. And as we do that across the world, we create a better world. And it's that logical flow from better data and analysis through to a better world, which is the role of the 21st century accountant. Fantastic. Final one, Steve. What is the one bit of advice that you'd give your 18-year-old self? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, I, the one, I, actually, as a family, we, wrote, we, we pulled together a book with 40 other business leaders um, in, back in 2016. The, the whole essence of the book was what's the, the, the advice you would give to your grandchildren to make their businesses better, their lives better, and the world better. And we got 40 business owners you know, answering that. I think, well, I answered that question then, and I, w- I think I would answer that question whenever I was asked it, um, that the, to me... The, the single most important piece of advice is use your heart as your compass, as your moral, as your compass in the decisions in life. When there are difficult things, and we talked about rational decision making, yes, um, but I mean, it might be rational to go out and kill someone. My heart would tell me that's not the right thing to do. I mean, that's a, that's a silly extreme example. I didn't mean that. But, but use your heart as your compass. At, at various points in my life, I have made big decisions which other people have, to some extent, not understood. But for me, they've come from the heart driving. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Back when I, I studied economics at uni, as I say, I was very good at it. I did my master's degree at the LSE. I got a distinction there. I was the only Brit to get a distinction in, in that, that master's year group. Um, and everybody else in my group was going on to do you know, a PhD in Harvard or whatever in, in economics. I was becoming an accountant, and that was because... I wanted to get married more than I wanted a career in, in, in economics and my wife was already living in Wakefield. So my heart brought me into a accountancy whilst you know everybody else was saying, economics, you're good at economics, do that, do that, do that. Then when um, Laura, who's now 28, when she was born, at that point I was the head of finance for 140 million division of Kodak. Two weeks after she was born, I handed in my notice because I knew that I did not want to work long hours and miss out on her, on, on her growing up. And from that point onwards, I've always been self-employed. So those are the second occasion when I effectively put my family first and use my heart as my compass, even though people were saying, that's a great job. Why are you giving it up? You know, don't be stupid. All the perks, the salary and so on and so forth. And then just after I reached my 50th birthday, I used my heart again and said, actually, I can, I think, use the skills and energy and insights I have left in me um, between now and when I properly, properly retire, probably in still a few years' time, to actually try and encourage the world to be a, f- a force for good, businesses to be a force for good in the world and do something about the UN Global Goals. All of those decisions which have shaped my life have been driven by using my heart as a compass. And I think that is a hugely, hugely important insight which I try to, to use. Fantastic. Steve, thank you so much for appearing on the show. I think the listeners will hopefully be inspired to use their businesses as a force for good. Um, if the listeners want to hear more from you, where, where can they go? Uh, well, my website is uh, stevepipe.com. They can email me, steve at stevepipe.com, or they might just want to look at b1g1.com. So that's capital B, 
digit one capital B digit one dot com that's the platform that I use to channel my my giving through and it's a, not just a platform it's a movement it's a community it's a wonderful thing to be part of so any any one of your listeners is is welcome to contact me I will freely help them in any and every way I can fantastic Steve great great to have you on the show thank you so much Carl Thank you for listening to The Carl Reader Show. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and tell your friends. This podcast was brought to you by our sponsor, D&T Advisory, helping you unlock the magic in your business by adding value, not numbers. Find out more at www.team-dt.com. QuickBooks, helping UK small businesses stay on top of their finances.